Hey, good morning, Plum Creek. Great to see all of you here. We are in the second week of this series called Next Steps. And if you were here last Sunday, you already know the baby in that video is our own Troy Mower. And uh, I've watched that video several times. It's this rare footage of Troy taking his first steps. And as I've watched it, I've started to pay attention to the other people in the video, the family members. They're the ones smiling and clapping because they're cheering on little Troy. They're excited to see him grow and develop. And when you think about it, there's kind of a spiritual parallel here with Plum Creek. As I mentioned last week and many, many times before, our mission at Plum Creek is leading people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus We love to see someone take those first steps to become a follower of Jesus, but then we also love to see people taking more steps as they grow closer to Him. We come together and we cheer each other on. We celebrate the life change that God brings. That's a huge part of why we exist as a church. Life around here is a lot like that video we just watched. Sometimes you're like little Troy taking those steps. And then other times, you're like one of the relatives cheering someone on. But the point is, in this journey of following Jesus, we need to encourage each other. That's how we keep moving forward. And it's never okay to stop growing. God is always leading us and calling us to take that next step. That's what this whole series is about. And today, we're going to focus on taking a step toward community. You know, some people would rather follow Jesus alone, make it kind of a solo project. But that's not what God intended. His plan is that we follow Jesus together within the community of the church. And we need each other. Do you know why? I'll tell you. We need each other because when you make the decision to become a disciple of Jesus, you are embarking on a life that will challenge you to your core. Now, it's the best possible life But it's not always easy. Last week, we read these words from Jesus in Luke chapter 9. He said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. So basically, Jesus has invited us to go for a walk. But this is no casual stroll. This walk requires sacrifice and self-denial. Now, this walk is an adventure, And you'll learn to do things you thought you could never do. But this walk is also a battle. And you'll face trials and temptations. And on some days, you'll feel like throwing in the towel and giving up. But in the end, this walk is so rewarding. This is where you grow to become the person God made you to be. And eventually, you reach this place, this future, where God gives you the deepest desires of your heart. But like I said, It's no cakewalk. If you're serious about taking up your cross every day to follow Jesus, you're going to need a strong support team. You need a strong community. So we're going to define that community here this morning. But first, we need to pull out our map. Last week, I said we're bringing out this map that we used several years ago here at Plum Creek. This entire stage serves as a map of your journey with Christ So let's do a quick review for those who weren't here last week and for those who may have dozed off a little bit. The first thing I'll point out is this door over here. 
Because this symbolizes the beginning of a life-changing relationship with Jesus. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So if you want to get to God, you have to go through Jesus. He was clear about that. And we know that there are many people on the outside of this door. This is where they are on the map. But there are different kinds of people over here. Some of them are wrestling right now. They're trying to decide, should I walk through this door? Should I become a follower of Jesus? But then others, they're not even looking in this direction. They're over here. Their life is busy. They're distracted or they're just not interested in Jesus. But then others have decided, yes, I've considered Jesus and it's time. It's time that I walked through the door, take those baby steps, and become a disciple of Christ. Now, the primary thing we need to understand here is that stepping through this door requires faith, putting your trust in Jesus, putting your life in His hands. Like we've been reading in Ephesians chapter 2, we're saved by the grace of Jesus through faith in Jesus. Salvation is a gift from God. We don't earn it. We can't live up to uh, deserving this gift. But in order to receive the gift, we have to put our faith and our trust in Jesus. And like we said last week, as we read through the New Testament, we see four common actions, responses that serve to demonstrate that a person's faith is genuine. Their faith is for real. We see that, number one, when someone chooses to believe in Jesus. That's when you accept the truth that Jesus really is who the Bible says He is. The next step is to confess or declare that Jesus is your Lord, your master. You're putting Him in charge of your life. You're not the boss anymore. The third step is to repent. You do a 180. You turn away from your old life, your old sins, and you turn to God to live for Him. And the fourth thing we see when someone walks through the door is baptism. A person is baptized or immersed in water to indicate the death of that old life and the beginning of new life in Christ. So that covers this side of the map. Let's move over to the other side here. This cross represents where we're headed on this walk. Last week we asked the question, when we decide to follow Jesus, where are we going? What's the destination? Well, there are two possible answers to that question, right? If you're looking down the road long-term, Beyond the end of this life, the long-term goal is to be with Jesus. Because this world is not our home. And we look forward to our real home, heaven, where we get to spend eternity with Christ. So that's the long-term goal, but we can't forget about the short-term goal, which is to be like Jesus. That's where you start to resemble Jesus more and more as time goes by. Every day, you're learning to speak and to act and even to think like Jesus. And that's what's happening in the middle section of this map. As, as we travel the path between the door and the cross, we're changing. We're being transformed by the Holy Spirit into the image of Christ. And the hope is that you'll be able to see real progress over time. If you've been a Christian for, say, five years, you, you want to look back at the person you were three or four years ago and, and say, by God's grace, I'm not who I used to be. I, I remember when I was over here, 
And, and I've made progress. I've taken some steps toward this destination of being like Jesus. But wherever you are on the path, I need to let you know there is no place where it's okay to just be complacent. We should always be looking for growth. None of us in this lifetime will be all the way over here perfectly living out the example of Christ. As long as you are breathing air, you haven't arrived yet. You and I have growing to do. You and I are still in desperate need of God's grace. And by the way, that's okay. That's been true of every disciple of Jesus, even those heroes like the Apostle Paul. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul is writing about his own spiritual journey, and he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So you see what Paul's talking about here. He's describing the destination. He wants to become like Jesus in this life, and then someday he wants to rise from the dead and be with Jesus when this life is over. But then look at the very next thing he writes. Paul says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, that's pretty encouraging, right? Paul says, I'm still somewhere here in the middle. I haven't arrived yet. I have growing to do. But is he satisfied? Is he complacent? Absolutely not. He says, I'm pressing on. I press toward that goal to win the prize, to reach the destination. Now, for everyone in this room who is currently following Jesus, I want to ask you, is your attitude similar to Paul's attitude here? Are you pressing on and moving forward? Are you denying yourself and taking up your cross every day, being transformed into the image of Christ? I am sure that some of you are, but I'm also guessing that some of us have slipped into a little different attitude. It's the attitude of the camping chair. I wish I didn't have to talk about this chair, but i got to do it. The truth is, at any point on this path, we may be tempted to pull out this chair. And it could be that uh, you're over here on the outside of the door, and maybe you've been considering Jesus, whether or not you should walk through. But then, life gets busy or life gets tough, or doubts creep in, or you're not sure you want to let go of control. So, just grab the chair, unfold it, and have a seat. And then you find out, ooh, this chair's comfortable. That feels kind of good. Before you know it, this can become a long-term plan, a permanent plan. And I said it last week, and I'll say it again. Do not be content to sit on the outside of this door. Because if you reach the end of this life and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I can literally think of nothing worse than that. So you don't want to get stuck here. Don't, don't pull out this chair. 
But what if you are that person who says, yeah, I'm ready to walk through the door, and then you do? You should know that you will be tempted to take this chair with you. And this is something I see a lot. Somebody gets a couple steps inside the door, and they say, I think I'm good right here. It's a good place to plant myself. They pull out the chair, and they sit down, and they say, oh, yeah, I love the idea of that long-term goal, being with Jesus in heaven. That sounds great. But the short-term goal, being like Jesus, I got too much going on right now to worry about that. But this is not a good place to be either. Even though you are inside the door, which is, you know, really important, that's great. This is not God's plan for any of us to just sit here making no progress not growing into the image of Christ. And that's true whether you're just a couple steps inside the door or, or you're way down here. Even, even down here, this is not a place to pull out the camping chair and just sit down. Now, I'm also human, and I understand. I, I can totally relate to this temptation. I can relate to that feeling where you say, you know what, God? I'm just tired. I feel like I need to take a break right now. Sometimes you feel burnt out, you feel wrung out, and you think, doesn't God understand? Doesn't he know that I, I, I just want to sit here maybe for a few weeks or a few months or a few years? What if you've just been through a tragedy? What, what if you're going through a serious health crisis right now or, or a family crisis? What if you don't feel like pressing on toward the goal? Well, I want to be very clear about something. Of course, God understands when we need to rest, when we need to recover. But listen, the camping chair is not where we find rest. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So do you see the picture here? We find what we need, not by pressing pause on our spiritual growth, but by pressing on and running to Jesus, continuing to grow closer to him. Now, don't get me wrong. It's okay to rest and recover. God knows that we need that, but that's different than what I'm talking about with this camera chair. This is when you say, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in a place where I'm going to grow closer to Jesus right now. That never happens. There's never a good time to pull out this chair and get stuck. Unfortunately, though, we do get stuck, don't we? For all kinds of reasons. If you've been around the church for a while, like I have, You've heard people talk about getting stuck spiritually. They'll say things like, I just don't feel close to God right now. Or I've kind of plateaued in my spiritual growth. Or to be honest, I'm just not excited about reading the Bible or praying or going to church. You can almost picture that person unfolding the camping chair. So what do you do when you don't feel like pressing on? Well, the answer is found in relationships. And here's the biggest thing we all need to understand today. Following Jesus is a team sport. Let's say that together. Following Jesus is a team sport. Like I said earlier, everybody needs a strong support team. 
You need a great coach who will encourage you and spur you on. You also need some fans who cheer you on as you take your next step. And you also need to be aware that there are others who look to you as an example for them. And God wants you to be an influence in their lives. Now, the most important relationship you need is that relationship with Jesus himself. He's the best coach you could ever ask for. However, you also need people. You need fellow travelers on the journey who say, hey, it's time to get out of the chair. It's time to get up and start pressing on. And they don't just tell you that. They'll stand on either side of you and pull you up and walk with you as you start making progress again. I'm telling you, we need this. You need it. I need it. We all do. Because honestly, it's how God has wired us from the beginning. We're not meant to walk alone. You can go back to the, the earliest part of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, on the sixth day of creation. Look at what God says, Genesis 1 verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Let us make man in our image. Why is God using plural terms here? Because the one true God exists in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity. God Himself is a picture of community, relationship. Uh, you don't have relationship uh, if, you don't have, if you don't have love, you don't have relationship. It, that's the picture that God gives us here. So we also have this longing for love because we're made in God's image. We have this need for community because we're made in God's image. I mean, once you start looking for it, you see community all over the Bible. In the teachings of Jesus, he consistently speaks in the context of relationships. Look at one of the most well-known teachings of Jesus, the Lord's Prayer. What does, what does Jesus say? He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So why does he say our Father instead of my Father? Well, this prayer is not just between me and God. It's between us and God. It's a community thing. Jesus assumes that we are relating to God as a community. Now, let's read this whole prayer together, out loud, as a group, and pay special attention to those times when Jesus says, us and our and we. Here we go. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then look at this. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. Wow. Have you ever noticed that before? Apparently, we're not supposed to settle for some individualistic approach to our relationship with God. But why is that? What's wrong with keeping things just between me and God? After all, many people believe that your faith is a private matter. Have you heard people talk that way? They'll say, my relationship with God is nobody else's business. Well, there's a problem with that mindset. If you try to make your faith a private matter, you're ignoring a ton of what the Bible teaches. I said that community is all over the Bible, but do you know about the one another verses in the New Testament? There are dozens 
and dozens of commands directed to followers of Jesus that can only be carried out in the context of relationships. I'll give you a small sample. In the Gospel of John, disciples of Jesus are told to love one another, and John was really serious about this command. Uh, If you look across the New Testament, John wrote the words, love one another, 11 different times. In Romans chapter 14, Paul says, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Galatians 5.13 says, serve one another humbly in love. One of my favorites is Ephesians 4.32, which says to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So how much are we supposed to forgive each other? As much as God has forgiven us. Colossians 3.16 says to teach and admonish one another. And I'll give you one more. Listen listen to these instructions in James chapter 5 verse 16. It says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. And some people don't like that one because they're thinking, I don't want to confess my sins to another human being. But there it is. And like I said, that's only the beginning. There are more than 50 one another commands in the New Testament. So let me ask, will these one another's happen if we make our faith a private matter? Of course not. And and let me ask this too, will will these one another's happen if all we do is come to a service in this room just for an hour a week? If that's all we do, man, we're not going to be following those commands. We can't just show up in in rows and and expect to, to have the kind of community that God wants us to have. The only way we'll see this kind of community is if we prioritize our relationship with Jesus and we prioritize our relationships with each other. We need to follow the pattern that goes back to the earliest days of the church. Let's look at these early Christians in Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved." Man, that's a beautiful picture, isn't it? For hundreds and hundreds of years, Christians have been inspired by that picture. Christians have also struggled to make it a reality. Too often, the church has fallen far short of that pattern. In fact, even the early church didn't last long before they descended into arguments and disunity and division. I'm not trying to sugarcoat anything here. Following Jesus in the context of community is a tough thing to do. Uh, But here's the thing. Yes, it's hard to follow Jesus in community, but you can't follow the instructions of Jesus in isolation. It's impossible. We can't remove ourselves from these relationships where we're called to encourage each other and challenge each other. So don't give up on community. If you give up on community, we'll see a whole line of people sitting in their camping chairs making no progress in this journey of following Christ. So how do we address this issue at Plum Creek? How do we go about building the kind of community that we see in Acts chapter 2? 
Well, many of you already know how we go about this. We take the large group and we break it down into smaller groups. At our church, we encourage everyone to get connected into what we call life groups. We've invested in life groups as a place where discipleship happens. In these smaller groups, we build relationships with a handful of people and we encourage each other to take our next steps and grow closer to Christ. Now, the new season of life groups is about to start. And today is the first opportunity you have to sign up for a new group. And for those who may be new to our church, uh, let me give you the basic idea here. Life groups meet from September to May, usually every week, but we do have a few breaks in there. At a normal meeting, a group of adults get together, often in someone's home, and they'll usually have some time to eat and hang out for a few minutes. But then at some point, everyone sits down to study the Bible together, to pray together, to just talk about life and connect on real issues that we're dealing with. It's a place where friendships are made. It's a place where you find encouragement and support. It's a place where you grow. Now, the purpose of life groups is discipleship, helping people to make progress along this path. And because of that purpose, we've laid out some specific expectations for our leaders. Leaders know that everyone in a life group needs to be encouraged to take these six steps of discipleship. First is to pursue a relationship with Christ directly, to build those habits of spiritual disciplines into everyday life. We want to help each other connect to God through Scripture, through prayer, and it's much easier to be consistent with that when you're a part of a group that's making the same commitment. The second step of discipleship is to pursue relationships with others. And the best case scenario is that a person has three different types of connections, and we base this on certain relationships that we see in the New Testament. For example, you want to find a Paul-type figure. Uh, that would be a spiritual mentor who encourages you in your faith. You also want to have Barnabas-type friends, and a Barnabas is a fellow traveler, a peer who walks alongside you. Lastly, you, you want to look for a Timothy, and your Timothy is a learner, someone who benefits from your influence. So those first two steps are about relationships, and the third step is to serve in a mission-focused ministry. We're going to talk more about that next Sunday. Number four is to develop a better understanding of the Bible and its teachings. And if we're going to keep moving forward, making progress in this goal of being like Jesus, we have to know the difference between the truth of Scripture and the opinions of our culture. In many ways, our culture has wandered away from the truth. And, and Christians will often go right along with the world if they're not grounded in God's Word. Step number five is to be equipped to take a Christ-centered approach to practical realities. Because following Jesus isn't just a Sunday morning thing, it's an everyday thing. That means we learn to do normal things the way Jesus would have us do them. That goes for finances, marriage, parenting, and all other aspects of life. The sixth stage of discipleship is kind of different. This, this one is to find support whenever life gets overwhelming. How do we get through the difficult seasons of life when you're dealing with grief or depression or some other huge challenge? Well, according to God's plan, we first find strength in Him, but then we also find strength in that strong community. I see a huge difference when someone goes through a crisis 
and they're also a part of a life group. The difference is that person or that family is not alone. They're surrounded by people who already know and care about them. And that support team prays and brings comfort and takes care of all kinds of practical needs. That kind of love from a caring community can be a catalyst that helps you grow closer to Christ even in difficult times. So, those are the six steps. Now, do you think you need to be a part of a group like that? Do you you need others around you who, who help you and encourage you in all these ways? I know I do. I know that I struggle in my journey with Christ when I try to go it alone. Soon after we got to Plum Creek, my wife and I joined one of these groups, and we've never looked back. I'm so thankful for the friendships and the relationships that we've built over time, and I've had the chance to see so many people taking their next step, and sometimes it's been me. I've been the one asking for help, asking for prayer, uh, trying to step out on faith, and in those moments, I'm like little Troy from the video, and it's great to have that support of a community around me. And other times, though, I've been like that smiling grandma because I've gotten to see someone get baptized or start serving somewhere for the first time or, or reach out and share the love of Christ with someone who really needs it. I know from experience what a blessing it is to be a part of a life group. And I want that blessing for you. More importantly, God wants that blessing for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today, and we thank you for this reminder that uh, we're not meant to walk alone. We need help. We need support. We need the strength that comes from outside of ourselves. And so, Lord, I pray that this will be the kind of church where we're building that Acts 2 community, the kind of relationships that, yeah, they, they may be difficult at times, but we're committed to them. We're committed to love each other and forgive each other and encourage each other and sharpen each other. Lord, I know we all have a step to take. I pray that you will help us see what the next step is and then have the boldness to take it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.